When you're anchored in God's grace, the impossible becomes possible. Welcome to the Portland Christian Center Podcast. This is the audio version of our live Sunday morning gathering. To view our live Sunday morning gathering, go to pcctoday.com. Amen. Amen. What an honor it will be to serve the city of Portland. How many of you believe there's still hope for Portland? I believe that. And we get to love God, present hope, and develop people. And we are so excited about that here at Portland Christian Center. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Mayel, and Pastor Nate and I are the lead pastors here. And it is such an honor to serve Portland and to serve PCC in this role. And we have been in a series starting in January called Anchored. Everybody say Anchored. Anchored. And one of the things that Pastor Nate has shared over and over is the importance of being anchored in the Word of God. How many of you are doing the Life Journal reading plan? Awesome. If you don't have one and you want to jump in with us, you can check out our hub on the way out on the way out today. But we love the Word of God. We believe that the Word of God is alive and active. And that every time we open the Word of God, He speaks to us. And so today I just wanted to kick off the morning. We're going to jump right into Scripture. So if you would uh, turn in your Bibles or on your phones to Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 13 together, and I'll be reading from the NIV. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have briefly written. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace. Everybody say grace. Grace. Given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace, say this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Hallelujah. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me. The title of my message this morning is Grace, Grace. Everybody say Grace, Grace. A few years ago, actually about six years ago, I have, I have two boys. Tate is sitting in the front row today. Tate is seven. Tate, wave. You can wave at everybody. Hi, Tate. Uh, he's seven years old, and then I have an 11-year-old named Titus. And when Titus was five years old, uh, I decided that I was going to homeschool my children. 
And that was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. So all the homeschool moms who are in the room or listening online, I have so much admiration for you. I really do. But it was one of those days where nothing I had planned went right. Ever have one of those days as a parent, just in general, where you you have a plan and no matter what I tried to do, Titus just argued. He was arguing with everything I asked him to do. And Titus is extremely logical. And to be honest, he's not in the room, so I'll say this. He was right, but he was wrong. You know, he was right that, yeah, his idea might have been better, but he was wrong in how he approached me about it. And I remember getting just, I was just at that point of frustration. So I called Nate and I said, Nate, your son, your son will not listen to me. And he, he got Titus on the phone and he told him, you know, Titus, you need to respect your mom. And I decided, I said, Titus, we need to time out. We need the Lord's help. So I said, Titus, you need to go to your room and you need to talk to Jesus about your attitude. He's five. And I sent him to his room. He's in his room. Tate was taking a nap. And I decided that I was going to do what every holy mother would do. I get on my knees in the kitchen and I bent down and I said, oh God, just get that boy. Oh God, just convict that boy. You just remind him, Lord, that I'm his mother and your word, your word says that he's supposed to honor me and respect me. So, you know, when I was sure that the Lord had heard my plea, I called Titus back downstairs. And I said, Titus, remember he's five. I said, Titus, you know, what the Lord show you? I was pretty sure the Lord was gonna convey to him what I had told the Lord to tell him. And he said, you know, mom, God told me that he has grace for me and he's gonna help me obey you. And I looked at him and I said, well, that's right. And he said, but God also told me that he has grace for you. (laughs) Five years old. And you know what? He was right. He was right. I needed God's grace in that moment. I need God's grace every day to parent my kids, to love my kids, to do what God has called me to do. And that was such a beautiful reminder. So why don't you turn to your neighbor right now and just say, there's grace for you. And turn to your other neighbor and say, neighbor, there's grace for you too. Grace. Grace is the unmerited, undeserved kindness and favor of God. Grace is a result of God's love and kindness for his people. Most of us in this room have heard the word grace. We're aware of what grace means. But today I don't want to focus so much on what grace is. I want to spend the next few moments with you talking about what grace does. I want to talk to you about what grace does. There's several different things that grace does for us, and we find them within Scripture. But today I want to focus on two things, two things that grace does for us. And the first thing is this, it's saving grace saving grace. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says this, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For it is by grace that you have been saved. I love this word grace. Grace is used 39 times in the Old Testament, 131 times in the New Testament, And Paul writes about grace over 86 times in his letters. It's written 12 times within the book 
of Ephesians. What does this tell us about Paul? Paul understood grace. Paul understood what grace did, what grace does. And if we remember Paul's story, Paul, who used to be known as Saul, he was a persecutor of the church. He was a murderer. He made it his mission to kill Christians. But one day on his road, on the road to Damascus, on his way to destroy the church, he met grace. He met Jesus on the way to Damascus and it changed his life forever. He came face to face with saving grace. And what did grace do? Grace transformed him. That's the power of saving grace that in our sin, God so loved us that he sent his only son. It's not about what we do. A lot of Christians, even though we know it's not, we try to earn it, we try to prove it by do, 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 but Jesus says it's done, done, done. And when he says it's done, 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 it's, it's signed, sealed, delivered. That Jesus has the final word over that so we can experience saving grace through Jesus. How many of you are grateful for the saving grace of Jesus? What I love about Paul is that Paul understood how great God's grace was because he knew how great his sin was. I love what Timothy Keller says. He says, if you have a small view of your sin, God's grace will be small to you. Paul understood this. And may we never forget as a believer what God's grace has done for us, the saving grace of Jesus that has transformed us. I love what Paul says that he's the chief of all sinners. He understood this concept, but yet he had apprehended the great, glorious grace in Jesus. And so he writes about it over 86 times. Man, I wanna be the kind of believer that understands the grace of God, not just knows about the grace of God, but man, I walk in the grace of God and I, ex and I can extend the grace of God to others. I can point people to the saving grace that's in Jesus. A few years ago, I was reading a story about this little girl who was in the foster care system, and she had been raised in foster care. She was given up at birth, and she was adopted by a family, and this family every year would take a trip to Disneyland, and each year they would talk to her about this Disneyland trip that they'd be going on, and every year this little girl would do everything she could to try to earn her way to Disneyland every single year, but every single year, single year, she was just not quite good enough. And each year, she had to stay back while the rest of her family went to Disneyland. It's devastating. They would go to Disneyland, they would come home, and they would show her the pictures of their trip to Disneyland. So her only uh, memory of Disneyland was the picture she got to see and the fact that she didn't get to go because she wasn't good enough. Well, this family that had adopted her decided that they didn't want her anymore. It's truly tragic. And so she was put back up for adoption and a new family adopted her. And this new family that adopted her, as they got to know her, they got to know her story. And they got to know what she had experienced, what she had been through. And one of the things that they learned about her was this story about Disneyland. And it angered them, as many of you feel in your heart. That's just not right. It's not right. That's what they felt. And so they made it their mission that they were going to take her to Disneyland. And she was so excited. But in the days leading up to their trip, to their departure, her behavior got worse and worse. 
She had outbursts of anger. She had outbursts of rage. And uh, they were seeing behavior that they had not seen in her before. And so one night they sat her down and they said, sweetie, what's going on? What, what, what are you wrestling with? And she said, well, I know. I know you're not going to take me to Disneyland. I'm never good enough. I was never good enough. I'll never be good enough. So I already know it's not going to happen. And they looked at her and her new dad looked at her and said, you going to Disneyland has nothing to do with your behavior. It has everything to do with the fact that I love you. And a big smile got on her face as tears were streaming down her face. But yet because of her experience, she struggled to trust if that were true. But they got to go to Disneyland. The day finally came and no longer was she just looking at pictures outside the gate. She got to experience everything that was inside. So she got to go inside. She got to ride on the Splash Mountain ride. She got to meet, meet Minnie and Mickey and wear those cute Mickey ears all throughout Disneyland. She got to see the parade and the fireworks. And that night as she was laying her head down, uh, her dad said, well, sweetie, what did you think of Disneyland? What did you think? And she looked at him and she said, you know, dad, Disneyland was great. But the best part of the day was I got to go to Disneyland, not because I was good, but because I'm yours. And that, my friends, right there, that is the heart of the gospel, that we get to go to heaven, not because we're good, not because we've earned it, but because we're His. And if you're called His, you get to spend eternity in heaven. That's something to get excited about. It's okay to get excited about that. Yes, that we have experienced the saving grace, that we were on the outside, but because of Jesus, we are now invited in. And if you're here today and you have not received the saving grace of Jesus, today's your day to encounter him. Today's your day of transformation. So what does grace do? It saves us. There's saving grace. And the second thing I wanna to talk to you about this morning is empowering, empowering grace. There's a grace that's available to you and to me that enables us to do what God has called us to do. And Paul addresses this in this chapter of Ephesians. He says, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the, bound, the boundless riches of Christ. Although I am the least of these. This grace, what was his grace? What was Paul graced to do? He was graced to preach to the Gentiles. Paul had an anointing and a gift to preach, to teach, to write. And God had empowered him with his grace in order to do it. Empowering grace enables us to do what we could not do on our own. It's the grace of God that empowers us to do what he has called us to do. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians. He says, he begs the Lord to take this thorn in his flesh away from him. Now, it wasn't actually a thorn, but it was figurative for something. There's a lot of debate over what this thorn actually is, but he had a thorn in his side. Anybody have a thorn in their side? I have a few of those. And I've been, he asks the Lord, he says, Lord, he pleads with the Lord, Lord, take, take this thorn away from me. But you know what God says to him? Many of you know this. My grace is sufficient for you. What's he talking about? He's talking about empowering grace. He's talking about enabling grace. That God enables us. I am able because of Jesus. I am able because of what he did on the cross. I am able. I am empowered to walk in all that God has called me to walk in. That's empowering grace. There's an empowering grace for you. Each of you have a unique gifting and assignment from God. 
And God is so good that he would not leave you on your own to do it. And here's the truth. If, even if you tried, you wouldn't be able to. We need God's grace to do what he's called us to do. Have you ever met someone and you just, you go, I don't know how they do it. How do they do it? Have you ever thought that about somebody? You know how they do it? It's the grace of God. The only reason I am standing up on this stage is because of the grace of God. You can ask my husband, because this weekend I had a bad attitude. I was working through some things. And I said, you know what I started to say? God, I need your grace. I need your grace to work through this. God, I need your grace. I need your grace to preach this word that you've given me. It's not because of me and my abilities. It's all because of him and his call. There's an empowering grace that is released to all of us. I love what uh, Max Lucado has this great quote. He says this. He says, grace is the voice that calls us to change and then gives us the power to pull it off. Grace is the voice that calls us to change and then gives us the power to pull it off. Grace, saving grace, empowering grace. And my, my main thought, my big idea for this morning is this, when you are anchored in God's grace, the impossible becomes possible. When you are anchored in God's grace, the impossible becomes possible. It seemed impossible that Paul could ever meet Jesus and he go from persecuting the church to help build the church and tell people about Jesus. That's impossible without the grace of God. It's impossible that he would be preaching about Jesus, but not, with, not without grace. Grace comes, meets Paul and transforms him. And now he, he wrote over two thirds of the New Testament. That's the grace of God, empowering him to do what God had called him to do. And that same grace is available for you and for I today. When you are anchored in God's grace, the impossible becomes possible. Say that with me. When you're anchored in God's grace, the impossible becomes possible. Becomes possible. I wanna share with you a story, one of my favorite stories in scripture. And it's actually found in Zechariah. And before we jump into the scripture, I'm gonna set the stage for us today. But it's a story about a man named Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. If you're having a baby, you can consider that name for your next child. Zerubbabel. <laughs> Zerubbabel. It's actually kind of a fun name. I've never met a Zerubbabel. But Zerubbabel was a, a leader. He was a governor of Judah. And he was used to um, bring over 42,000 exiled Jews back to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, this is after um, Solomon's temple was built and then had been destroyed. And Zerubbabel comes back and he's given an assignment from the Lord. And this assignment was to rebuild the temple. God has given Zerubbabel this task to rebuild the temple. Well, in 536 BC, the building of the temple begins. And after six years of labor, it's halted, it's paused in 530 BC. Why? Because there was opposition. Zerubbabel faced opposition. He faced opposition on the outside. People did not want him to build the temple. And then he faced opposition from the inside. People on the inside weren't happy with how he was building it because Solomon's temple was so much more grand than what he was building. So they were grieving and comparing to what the past had been and they struggled to, uh, to cooperate and to partner with what Zerubbabel was doing in that moment. So he faced opposition. He had a mountain of opposition. 
Have you ever felt like that? Felt like there's a mountain of opposition in your way? Well, Zerubbabel faced this. And so from 530 BC to 520 BC, nothing happened on the temple. That's 10 years. 10 years it was paused. And here's where we jump in. And this is where Zerubbabel hears from an angel from the Lord. And this is what the angel says. He says to Zerubbabel, Zechariah 4, 6 through 7, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Grace, grace to it. That's so good. I'm going to read it again. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. This is the word of the Lord to you, PCC. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Grace, grace. What the Lord, the message to Zerubbabel is, is there is nothing in your way that I can't handle. And it's not by your strength, it's by his spirit that you shall shout grace, grace at it. So Zerubbabel gets this message from, from the Lord. And, you know, whenever you get a message from the Lord, you have the opportunity to, to decide what you're going to do with it. And worship team, you can go ahead and come. You have the opportunity to decide what you're going to do with it. And so could you imagine with me Zerubbabel? Zerubbabel, nothing's happened. 16 years, he built it. Nothing happened. They paused So it's been 16 years, essentially, since anything has happened. And the Lord says, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit that the temple will be rebuilt. Just grab the capstone and shout grace, grace at it. Well, in this culture, I think in most times when things are built, the capstone would have been the final piece. It would have been the final piece that would have gone on. But what the message to Zerubbabel was, no, 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 I want you to start with it. I want you to start with the end in mind. And sometimes we get a picture from God of what he's called us to do, but we can't, it's hard to see how we could ever get there because there's a process. The process between when we're called and then to when we're experiencing what God has called us to do. And what the message was is, no, you shout grace, grace at it. So if I put my, let's all put ourselves in Zerubbabel's shoes. You get this message and it's, it's built your faith. And so you go to the temple and you stand among the rubble. And what do you do? He, you could, could you imagine everyone looking at him? He, he kneels down and he grabs the capstone. And if I'm Zerubbabel, I'm thinking, God, they're going to think I'm already, they already think I'm crazy. They're going to think I'm even crazier if I start shouting at this rock. So with me, I probably would have started out with grace, grace. <laughs> grace, grace. Oh, no, but the Lord, the Lord didn't say whisper at it. He said shout at it. Grace, grace. No, he didn't say talk to it. He said shout at it. Grace, grace. And he shouts at the rock, the capstone. You know, sometimes acts of faith, you do feel a little bit crazy, might look a little bit crazy. But you know what happened when he began to shout grace, grace over this cornerstone? Things began to move. Things began to move. And what human hands could not do, grace, grace did. And within five years, the temple was rebuilt. 
That's the power of mountain moving grace, my friends. That's the power of the Almighty God that when the enabling, empowering grace of God is upon you and what He's called you to do, you will experience mountain moving grace, that the mountains in front of you shall become a plain, that no longer does it stand in your way. You don't let the mountain talk to you, you talk to the mountain about how great your God is. And some of us in here, we've lived too long letting the mountains in our lives speak to us. But we are called into a season to shout grace, grace over the mountains in our lives so that we can experience all that God has called us to do. Jesus actually addresses this. He says this in Mark eleven twenty three. He says, I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown in the sea and it will happen. Jesus says that. You know, the mountains in our lives, mountains in scripture represent difficulties, trials. Your mountain might be financial. Your mountain might be your job. Your mountain might be a relationship that you have or your health or addiction, or fear, anxiety. But this mountain of depression, that there's a grace, an enabling grace that empowers you to overcome. You're an overcome. You're an overcomer in the mighty name of Jesus. And there's a grace to do it. There's a grace to do it. It's the mountain moving grace. You know what we did? You know what my whole family and I did when we drove up the driveway today? We extended our hands and we began to shout, grace, grace over PCC. Why? Because there's opposition to what God's trying to do here in this house and in this city. But you know what? My God is greater and this is His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I'm committed that every time I drive up the, the driveway to PCC, I'm just gonna shout grace, grace. Because I believe that what God started here, He's gonna finish here. And that's the thing about our God is that He finishes what He starts. The question is, will you stick in it long enough to see it happen? Will you partner with Him long enough to see Him do what He's called you to do? To not give up when it gets difficult, to not push pause, but to say, you know what, Almighty Mountain, who are you? Who do you think you are? Let me remind you about my God. Let me remind you about my God because my God is the one that formed the world at His command. He's the God that parted the Red Sea and He healed the lame and the sick and the blind. He's the one that sent His only Son to die on the cross and raise again. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. Who are you, O great mountain? You got nothing on my God. It builds our faith that when we are anchored in grace, the impossible becomes possible. And so as we end today, I just wanna take a moment. I wanna just pause for a moment. I'm actually gonna ask you to stand. And I want you to think about your own life for a moment. What mountains are you facing? You know, for me, one of the mountains that I've experienced, actually since Titus was born, I, some of you know this, but I had a, a collapsed vein when Titus, when I gave birth to Titus, one of my veins collapsed and I got a massive blood clot in my, um, right after giving birth to him from middle of my thigh up to my abdomen. And I was told I might have to have my leg amputated. I was told that I might die. Um, and every day since then, it's been a part of a prayer of mine that I believe God's gonna heal me. Am I healed yet? Have I seen the physical elements of that yet? No. Do I still believe? Yes. What do I do? I shout grace, grace over my leg every day. 
because it's a mountain. It can feel like a mountain with trying to navigate blood thinner and movement and swelling and all of that. But you know what? My God's greater than that. And some of you in here, you've been facing a mountain and and you've been trying to tiptoe around it. And God's saying, no, talk to that mountain. That mountain has no authority over you. Grace, grace to it. Shouts of grace, grace. So this morning, we're gonna activate it. And it might feel uncomfortable, but it was uncomfortable for Zerubbabel. But there's an activation that happens when we begin to declare who God is and His grace over our situations that something happens in the spiritual realm bondage is broken, our faith is built. And so with your eyes closed, I just want you to take a moment and just think, you know, what is the mountain in your life? What is the mountain in your life that feels too big, so big, so overwhelming? And when you get that mountain in your mind, we're gonna take a moment, we're gonna shout at it. Together, we're gonna shout at it. So get that mountain in your mind. And I'm gonna count to three. And on the count of three, we're gonna, we're gonna shout grace, grace together. You got the mountain in your mind? And online, you might be in your living room. I want you to shout with us. So one, one, and I didn't say whisper it, friends. I said shout. Two, make sure it's loud so all of heaven and hell can hear you. Three, grace, grace. Thank you, Lord. Yes, we say grace, grace to that mountain. We say grace, grace to that mountain of addiction. In the mighty name of Jesus, it shall become a plain. Grace, grace over marriages. Grace, grace over financial mountains. Grace, grace. Grace, grace. Say it again, friends. Let's shout it again. One, two, three. Grace, grace. Yes, we, this is our mantra in this season that God, this is what we walk in. Grace, grace to the mountains that present itself. Grace to the trials and the struggles that it has no authority over it. Just begin to talk to that mountain and tell the mountain who your God is. Just let that come out of your mouth. Our God is great. He is mighty. There is nothing our God cannot do. There is nothing our God cannot do. Our God is so great and so mighty. So we pray over the mountains in this room. We thank you, Jesus, that over this week, we're gonna experience, we're gonna see testimony after testimony of your faithfulness to flatten the plains of the mountains where things have been difficult and movement has been stalled. God, you're restoring, you're restoring movement today. You're restoring movement today. God, I pray that you would breathe life into every person here today, Father. We thank you for the empowering grace. We thank you for the empowering grace that's available to us. That saving grace, we're so grateful for it. And if you're here today and you've not experienced the saving grace, but you want it, you wanna experience the saving grace of Jesus, today is your day. Would you just lift your hand up? I wanna pray over you. Just lift your hand up. If you wanna ask Jesus into your heart, you've not asked Jesus into your heart, lift your hand up. We wanna pray together. Yes, thank you, Lord. And online. Would you just repeat this prayer after me? Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Today I receive your saving grace. Transform me, lead me, guide me. I give my life to you. Thank you, Jesus. And all of heaven is rejoicing right now. We're rejoicing with you.
the saving grace, the empowering grace. We're gonna spend some time worshiping together. And I wanna invite you in, and I'm gonna pray again, but I wanna invite you to go to battle. This is our song. You know, we don't fight our battles. God fights them for us, but there's movement that's required on our part. To believe that the mountain that you just spoke grace, grace over, that today it's gonna become a plain. And I felt as I was praying, I felt specifically to pray over those um, where your dreams, there's dreams that are within your heart that you have just, they feel like they're dead. That there's dreams that you need the Lord to just breathe life onto. That there's a mountain of opposition of what you feel you're called to do. And if that's you, I wanna pray over you right now. Would you just lift your hand right where you are? And there's no shame in any of that. Just raise your hand, I wanna pray over you. There's hands all over this room that it's the grace, grace of the dreams that God's given you. Yes, so God, I thank you for every hand that is raised. I thank you, God, that you see their hand. I thank you, God, that they are known by you. And God, that you have such a specific and unique plan for them, Lord. I pray, Father, I shout grace, grace over their dreams. Let's, let's shout it together with them, grace, grace. We shout it over their dreams. We shout it over their call. We thank you, God, that today you're reviving that. You're reviving their dreams. You're breathing life into their dreams. That the mountain of opposition is becoming a plain. That's mountain moving grace. Thank you, Jesus, for your mountain moving grace. And so Lord, as we go into worship, we know that the battle is not ours. The battle is yours. And that our position as we fight looks different than others. We fight from our knees, we fight in prayer, we fight with um, intercession. God, you are such a faithful God, so we know that these mountains have no authority over us, and we thank you for that. We thank you for your grace. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us up with power today to walk in the boldness of what you've called us to be. Church, let's just begin to worship the Lord. Just put out your own sound of worship to Him. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Let's worship together. Thank you for listening to the Portland Christian Center Podcast. If you'd like to hear more or learn more about us, visit our website at cctoday.com or join us online for a live stream at 1030 at live.pcctoday.com